welcome to the Soho Theatre on December the 9th, 2012, for No Pressure to Be Funny, created by Alistair Barry and Nick Revel, and podcasting on the British Comedy Guide. And now it is time to introduce your host, a man who very sensibly waits for people to call in to his radio show rather than dialing out himself. Please welcome Mr. James O'Brien! Welcome to the show. Before we start, I want to announce that our website is up and running at nopressuretobefunny.com. You can get updates about shows and guests. There'll be blogs, extra content, both audio and video, and eventually merchandising, including t-shirts, mugs, and action figures of the entire No Pressure To Be Funny team. And of course, the exclusive No Pressure To Be Funny aftershave. O'Brien, pour on. <laughs> so check us out. Join the mailing list. No pressure to be funny. Com. Now this week we have been contentedly sipping our newly taxable Starbucks coffee, whilst mostly continuing to compile our fantasy guess who list based on Operation U Tree. With the arrest of Max Clifford, we we did consider starting the show tonight by sharing some more names that we are hoping to, to see questioned in the coming months. Unfortunately, our lawyers have advised against this strategy, as have Kelvin McKenzie's. <laughs> Australian PM Julia Gillard recorded a spoof interview for Australian radio station Triple J to mark the end of the world, uh, as predicted in the Mayan calendar. As evidence of this approaching Armageddon, she mentioned flesh-eating zombies and Korean pop music, but sadly not the use of idiotic spoofs in the Australian media. Time, oh. Time now for some music, uh, and a man described by the utterly infallible British Comedy Guide, which entirely coincidentally also hosts this podcast, as at the top of the musical comedy league. Please welcome a no-pressure regular, ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood. Now, uh, this evening I'm going to do something I've, I've not uh, done before. I've never written a song uh, with no jokes in it. Um, well, not, not deliberately. Um, and, uh, but, I don't know, there was just something about the, uh, the nurse suicide story that uh, kind of brought out the Billy Bragg in me. DJs were well known for being irreverent and mad With the royal baby on the way there was fun to be had Just because it wasn't funny that doesn't make it bad Cause they were only joking and she was only sad Columnists were queuing up to give them both a kick The bloggers and the tweeters damned as fast as you can click If it's self-righteous opinions you want, you can take your pick But they were only joking and she was only sick chapter and verse like a stupid silly prank is some kind of voodoo curse cause the screams for tabloid justice could only make it worse cause they were only joking and they didn't kill that nurse the paper screams of anger are irrational and shrill Blood guilt for a silly prank is too bitter a pill We don't know why she did it and we probably never will Cause they were only joking They were only joking How could they know she was ill? Thank you. 
Um, let's bring on the panel. Please welcome to the stage Sarah Pascoe, Robin Inns, Matthew Norman and Pete Johansson. Sarah Pascoe is an actress, writer and comedian who appeared in Channel 4's campus and therefore uh, has experienced the highly unusual sensation of being paid to go to university. Matthew Norman is an award-winning journalist who took Nick Revel to review a restaurant with him after his last appearance on No Pressure, uh, something uh, about which Alistair Barry is still smarting and envious. Uh, luckily, though, it was Greg Wallace's new restaurant, and it is well worth a read, unless you're Greg Wallace. <laughs> Writer and comedian Robin Ince is a devout Christian and climate change <laughs> denier with an abiding love of practical jokes. <laughs> And Pete Johansson is an award-winning Canadian comedian and, as a result, has just been made Governor of the Bank of England. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the panel. <laughs> Let, let's kick off our first conversation this evening with our devil's advocate, treating a topic in the news this week from a contrary angle. Uh, so, with the motion, the devil's advocate believes that... La la la, goo goo goo, who's a pretty baby then? Tickle tickle. Please welcome Alistair Barrett. <laughs> There's nothing like writing a light-hearted piece on the royal pregnancy and how the next seven months are likely to represent a royal lack of variety performance as we steel ourselves against acres of coverage, speculation and general bollocks in the papers about bumps and maternity dresses and names and sex and ill-considered gossip masquerading as comment. You finish the piece and then you have a quick look at Facebook because it's 2012 and that's the first time you see the cuddly little baby story is, in the starkest possible terms, no longer the story. Then you turn on News 24, whilst flicking through the papers and keeping an eye on Twitter. Then you get an email from James Sherwood telling you he's written a song about it. And then you sit down to write your piece all over again. I rather like my jokes about hyperemesis gravidarum being something they taught at Hogwarts. <laughs> or how the inclusion of a commoner in the royal gene pool meant it was practically certain now that the baby wouldn't have a tail. <laughs> <laughs> but they're a bit redundant now. <laughs> Still work. As a committed Republican, or seething, as the Telegraph so beautifully put it this week, I'm clearly out of step with opinion in this country, whereby the royals have gone from near pariah status to everyone's favourite institution in a decade. The fact that in a supposedly modern society, an embryo nestling inside a wealthy young woman is considered legally superior to everyone in this room is one that continues to bother me. But the rest of the country, not to say the world, is obviously transfixed. And that is the problem. Our prurient fascination with celebrity and privilege and the vast array of media with which we are able to feed this obsession seems to have led directly to a vulnerable person's death. What is doubly tragic is how the repercussions will continue to reverberate. Not only has one family lost a wife and mother, but another young one will have one of the happiest moments of their lives overshadowed by something far beyond their control. In addition, although this may not be terribly popular, I think we should perhaps spare a thought for a couple of Australian DJs who were clearly just playing what must have seemed at the time like a silly little practical joke. It's easy to say in hindsight that it was a stupid thing to do, but you can't vilify people for stupidity forever or else we'd all be in trouble for being so interested in the first place. <laughs> so now it's time to throw the topic over to the panel. I'll be interested to know if they can find something funny to say about it. <laughs> no pressure. How was that the devil's advocate? That's what everyone agreed. That wasn't the devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah no, I agree, yeah. <laughs> something in the, in the what was contrary about that I didn't I didn't agree that it was stupid in hindsight <laughs> what, the, the prank yeah why not who cares who are these people not to be provoked you know I don't I'm sorry I don't understand why this is an issue on any level whatsoever especially that this person killed themselves this will be unpopular um, but uh, I gotta be honest with you if she's gonna kill herself over that she could have killed herself over an insult over a haircut the next day I mean this is not somebody that was incredibly well, I think we secure. all share your pain now. Yeah. <laughs> but what no but 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 here's the other thing is now these they've reported these uh, these DJs are on uh, suicide watch now because they're so upset so this is like a sort of a shame sort of suicide uh, uh, domino. dominoes exactly. yeah exactly and honestly all these people they kind of keep going back and forth with shame and kill themselves I think it'll be better for a comedy 
comedy in general. Oh, look, all, li- all life is suicide watch, isn't it? Ever since I read Camus, that's the way it's been. I was 17 years old, accidentally read some existentialism. Every single day is another suicide watch. Well, if, if only the complexity was that of the angst of life and not some sort of modern form Bushido where they're af- afraid of the shame of their, of their job action. I mean, this is the first Brit I've ever seen take their job that seriously that they commit suicide over. I'm sorry. <laughs> Now that's the devil's advocate. (laughs) See, I I think one of the things that I find fascinating is that because everyone, I mean, I I only follow news on Twitter, right? Because that's why I I like this whole kind of thing where you just have people, have you heard what, oh yeah, I have, oh, it's terrible, right? And it's this whole thing where we've heard a lot from the press that, you know, this hideous, the vilification of two breakfast DJs who until, you know, I've always generally kept, you know, I don't know if they're breakfast DJs, whatever, whatever kind of DJs they are, I've always seen DJs as my moral compass. But nevertheless, <laughs> I, I find the idea that the newspapers, of course, because the newspapers, I'm sure, weren't going, lots of journalists going, we should find out who that nurse is coming up. They were going, do you know what, we should leave her alone. She won't be feeling very well, so let's leave her. So suddenly the fact they're going... Can you believe those DJs fought? Do you know what? It may also have been the journalist banging on her door. You mentioned Twitter. <laughs> um, Twitter had a story about the first comment on the Daily Mail um, uh, story about that, saying exactly what you just said, not word for word, but you bastards, you're responsible for this as much as anybody else. It's certainly as much as these Australian DJs who you're now cre- queuing up to crucify. Did it not cross your mind at any point that... Uh, uh, you were probably adding to whatever burden this poor woman felt that she had to bear. And it was there for 24 minutes before it got um, removed. That's Leveson. Can I say Leveson in action. See, before Leveson, the British press was fantastically self-critical. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so it's flagellation. But, I mean, I, you know, if you, want, if you want to look at a prank call, I mean, I was at my copious research for tonight. I, was, I found this call about 10 years ago on an American, uh, I can't remember what it was, Cincinnati or something, on Valentine's Day, and... and, and some woman rang in to win tickets to a Kanye West gig. She had to ring her husband at work and tell him, and, and without him shouting or cussing, as they put it so sweetly, or, uh, and, uh, and agreeing that he would love the child as much as ever, she had to tell him falsely that their nine-year-old son wasn't his, right? <laughs> Was it Kanye West? No, it wasn't Kanye West. <laughs> I think she'd have known that. She'd have known that. So, I, listen to it. So it's only, only had 10 million listens on YouTube, so it's not that obscure. <laughs> anyway, she rings him up, and he's... And, and it's, first of all, it's, it's incredibly compelling, because she says, what yes. do you mean, honey? What are you saying? I, I can't... And after about five minutes, he loses his temper. He said, well, now you're telling me that, I'm going to tell you I've been sleeping with your sister for the last year. <laughs> And he had. Now that's a prank. And no one topped themselves over that. I mean, that is a prank call. What tickets did he win? But isn't, isn't part of the thing, though, that it, all of these things become serious because for some reason we have a fascination with them. So suddenly you go, exactly. because when I don't, I genuinely, I don't read newspapers. I gave up newspapers about two years ago. I read very little news. And someone said, where do you get your news from? And I go, do you know what? You can just pick it up. It yeah. kind of, if it's really important news, it just seems just, to be there in the ether. It's another tea party stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just, just pick it up with the ether. Yeah, that's what I do. I eat very strong cheese and then sleep in a hammock. And whatever I imagined is true. Um, and, and, you're, and you're not religious. <laughs> Well, there are certain cheeses that I worship, yes. The, uh, Who is getting bishops. really worked up about this? Well, this no, what I mean about Jesus. the worked up is, first of all, you have this ridiculous thing, which is you have, because news now doesn't seem to have a budget to actually report news, yeah. so we need a lot of news to be things that have been tweeted by people or we can afford to have someone standing on a doorstep in London going, there's still no news from the door. We're going to find out, maybe someone's going to come out from the door right. and they're going to say, Kate Middleton's still lying down. Yeah. We don't know exactly what angle she's in the bed at the moment. She might be flat. She might, she might be slight. It might be one of those, any, we've got, uh, got any, a bed expert. Any idea how many pillows she's got there? Exactly, are we, are yeah. We clear on how many pillows? I mean, we've heard there's five pillows, but no news yet as if one of them okay. may well be an L-shaped pillow to help her sit up. They might be just five rectangular pillows. Paul, you're a pillow expert. Yes, I am a pillow expert. <laughs> I, I've been a pillow expert for a very long time. And you just get this... And so suddenly it is important. So when this thing, which is, you know, any suicide, any death in this way, I mean, this is really, if you want to do reporting about this, it shouldn't be about the tittle-tattle this. It should be articles just about the fact that things like issues of suicide, you know, they are when people get trapped in this, this kind of, the sensation. To me, one of the, the most incredible things that anyone can do is actually to take your life. Because when you take your life, it's against every urge you have as a living creature. Now, there's, there's things there to be talked about. But what happens is that woman 
Well, I imagine she won't just have been left alone. She, there will be people who were trying mm -hmm. to, you know, ring her, get in contact with her, dog her, and uh, all of those things. And so it does get... So suddenly something which, as you said, but, I agree with you, Pete. Yeah. It's silly. It's nothing. <laughs> the moment you can pull back from a situation, the number of times you may, well, you know, when Not you talk about that. weeping or school, and you suddenly go, I fucking cared about that. Yeah. How is that important yeah. to me? What's and But there? when you're in that moment... Yeah, that's the thing, I, I think 24 hours later... It would have gone away. Exactly. That's usually the best advice you can give someone in that sort of situation is just give it 24 hours or sleep on it and, and you'll be okay. I was still saying, this is uh, when I had that sick feeling at school when I got into trouble, I was still saying, this is no big deal. What is everyone getting so worked up about? That's Humberside Drug Squad drove me away. <laughs> <laughs> and you thought a career in talk radio <laughs> seems to beckon now. From Little, from little Acorns. Uh, so I, they sold you acorns <laughs> and you were busted for that. Isn't that the worst one? He had an eighth of acorns, I'm afraid. Just banana, <laughs> the, 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 the culpability or otherwise then of the DJs as we, we the, I don't think what many culpability? well exactly yeah, so, this is, but everybody has there's a consensus that lots and lots of people are getting well, worse it's very <laughs> touching to me that the sun is taking uh, such a strong line on this Ooh. and is disgusted because you know it, it's a while now since it drove Charlotte Church's mother to an attempted suicide with blackmail yes and it's all a lot of water under the bridge and let's say no more about it and now it's gravely offended because a couple of us, I mean, I don't want to be rude about Australians. You don't expect them to be at the centre of wit and humour. Scotland Yard have now but contacted the radio the, station. Of course they have, because they, unlike Scotland Yard, to fancy a free flight to Australia, get a bit <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they did that in Morse, for Christ's sake. And now apparently <laughs> I can't see any culpability of these people. But, I but is there it's any one of those strange things when you just feel desperately sorry for there's, everybody. There's also yes. no culpability because the exact same thing has happened about eight years ago with the Queen. Uh, two radio DJs in Mont Montreal, yeah, yeah. The fake the Prime Minister of Canada, got on the phone, had her on the phone for seven minutes, you know, and nobody the killed themselves over that. The real Queen. And they were pretending to be the Queen. <laughs> so it was a really weird one. <laughs> yes. yeah. Hello, it's the Queen. Could so we speak to the Queen? <laughs> yes, it's me. How can I fall for that one again? <laughs> Bloody acorns. Yeah. <laughs> they did Sarah Palin as well. Yeah, they, they did Sarah Palin as That's well. Yeah, yeah. So there's a precedent for so this. Why, it's why, why public thing. So you just got one very obviously disturbed person, presumably, in a couple of weeks. And we'll caught up in a in, 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 a, in a milestorm of events that would be. This is the 24-hour rule, isn't it? It would seem so. I, 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 have you ever, have any of you ever been doorstepped? Have you ever had a journalist on your on your doorstep? As a, as a, any, anyone in the room ever been doorstepped? It's just me then. I, uh, I, I've been charged I, by police horses. Does that count? No, 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 no okay. No, no, no. No, that could happen by accident. I, 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 I it's a long and boring ages. story, but I, I, I had the news of the world on my on my front Why? doorstep, and it's quite an unnerving Sorry, is it acorn. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's my you can't acorn. Just say that and not say no, what. I had a contretemps with a footballer on my radio. He phoned my radio show. Oh, objected. Oh, I remember Frank Lampard. Yes, yes, yes. Sort of beast. You could have driven to suicide. You jest. Actually, you know, what if he did therefore harm himself? Would that have been my fault? I don't You'd know. You'd have been on Fox News now on three million a year. By that, yes. <laughs> the, the point being that when they turn up on your doorstep, even if you've been on the other side of the door yourself, if you've been on the doorstep, as both my wife and I have, when they said it, she came onto the pat patio and. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> and said, it's, it's the news of the world, and I just went, oh, <laughs> yeah, good one. Shit, it really is the news of the world on our, on our doorstep. And so we went out and said, look, we know all the rules. You don't talk to our neighbour, don't do anything. And it was quite unnerving, but within two hours it was. But just in that little nexus, I have yeah. enormous sympathy for her, but there's no finger to point. There's no one you can actually... But was she actually that? doorstep? For the, no, but just that reading the story and knowing she's... A, oh, my God, but it's me, I'm did. just a nurse. All, all I she did was, did was say the, hello and, I know, then, I, and then say, I'll put you through to the nurse's station. I mean... It is the strangest story. There's got to be story. some more to it, obviously, than that. One imagines yeah, she, she had other crosses to bear. We'll find out <laughs> tomorrow, a little more, I imagine, in the newspapers, which is a sort of strangely symmetrical way of looking at it, isn't it? We'll probably find out everything from her star sign. <laughs> <and balance>. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Matthew, he's there going, oh, I'm right for the newspapers, it's so unfair. I mean, not, no, not your we newspapers. We, can't, we didn't kill this one, surely. Well, <laughs> just Princess Diana. We, we can't do that. You know, Princess Diana, I'm afraid we did kill. On, on, on to more uh, cheerful matters. The actual, the, I mean, the, the cause for national celebration which spawned this terrible tragedy, which is the, 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 the impregnation of a, of a posh girl. Um, <laughs> something I spent my teens and 20s dreaming of. <laughs> <laughs> the, I, 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 just to personalise it briefly. 
I, I, I got quite excited about it in a, in, a, in a really weird... No, I know, Robin. Yeah. I, 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 I feel... It's, we're I, all like that. It's like the end of 1984. We've all learnt to love our Queen. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it is. I think you reach an age and you thought, well, I was a Republican as a boy. But, you know, she's Not a splendid old trout, really, isn't she? <laughs> and I hope that doesn't seem disrespectful to the Sovereign. And you think, well, we pay 70p a year each for this, and they provide a bit of fun and merriment. And really, it's quite ironic, the love for the royal family. Is it really worth getting rid of them to have some, you know, some yes, but you narcissistic maniac elected president? In, in, in you, I, I, forgive me if I'm misrepresenting yeah. you, but I imagine you were the sort of character who'd, who'd, who'd sort of get stuck in at dinner parties with big Republican... Rhetoric in your youth and in you my cared, youth. Yes, and you cared passionately about. Years ago. Well, but still, you, it, it still it hasn't changed. Get, the institution it's still not represents. Worth it. It's not worth getting rid of. The people go on about it being infantilizing. Dad, all the countries that we regard, we lefties regard as the most progressive and grown up. Scandinavian countries, Holland, they've all kept their royal families. It doesn't made them, you know, any more stupid and backward. We're just stupid and backward. It's nothing to do with having your own family. Pete, you, you, Pete, you're a Canadian with a Scandinavian name, so you must have a lot to say about yeah. this. Uh, I just, I, the idea of having a family that, for some reason, has the same sort of, uh, just is better than us, just by nature. Is but I don't think that you don't have to buy into that. Okay, there's two, there's two there. They're either the royal family and they're the special family, or they're, uh, they're a symbol for your country, like Canada has bears. Or yeah. like, they're one of the two and one's either for tourism and it should just be that uh, as sort of an idea this is what Britain is Look, let's use these people to sell it boom that's it yes. or they're entrenched in your constitution and have the right to veto and don't pay things which is just insulting to anybody that has disproved God in their life that I have to sit there and go oh but I, I don't believe in God but I certainly believe in their genetics being better okay. I mean it's, it's the same kind of bullshit I have no problem for that and by the way they're my sovereign too and I can't yes. stand them yes <laughs> But do you want to be ruled by a bear? Yes. Yes. Who does it? Exit pursued by a bear begins to become the new royal baby. Sarah, do you, do you understand that this tension between the, between the slightly shaming emotions that Matthew and I clearly yeah. indulge in and the rational, visceral hatred that Pete there is suffering from? Oh, come on. Hatred? There's no, hatred. there's no hatred. There's no, rationality. I've always looked at it. I used to I work in tourism on uh, bus tour guiding on buses. And um, so, and that was the most I ever came into contact with the royal family because occasionally they on the bus. <laughs> they would often come and get the bus, hear about their relatives. <laughs> queen on the top, they go, mine, mine, mine. Having a wreck here. And so, so I think economically, if it brings more business into the country, then fine. And it's going to cost a lot more money to dismantle them, get rid of them. We're still going to have to protect them and their generations for years to come. That's going to cost us just as much money. We might as well keep them. It is lovely, all the kind of the costumes and the men walking up and down yeah. and the lovely buildings that are protected. That's brilliant. And the horses. And also, I've always had a sneaking suspicion that in case of revolution, it might be good to have just one other uh, point of control, even though we're not using it all the time. I don't, I, don't see, I don't see that as a scary thing. Are you arguing from the point of view of the revolutionary or the people on the top defending themselves? <laughs> it depends who I am at that point in the revolution, actually. Quite the optimist. How did you feel about the pregnancy announcement? Anything at all about it? Well, first of all, when they kept talking about her acute morning sickness, yes. I was like, well, I'd feel pretty nauseous if I had to wake up next to him every day. Oh, oh no! Oh, oh, such a lovely boy, though. You lost his mother. You don't care about that. Did not? Did you get? I mean, he lost his mother. He was ten or eleven. Where did this happen? Yeah, you missed it. You're through to beat your hands and Samaritans. Like, what do you mean he lost his mother? Laugh it off. Come on, he's still got dad. That was a fun. The speed in which you, the audience, just going, oh, I really like her. And then suddenly, for a moment, you you were the panelist of our hearts. And then, is it is it just completely hypocritical to to feel a, a, a warm glow of appreciation for this particular couple and their, well, and that's their human nature. I feel like this well, not, is why uh, not everyone. Yeah. What, but no, to, when you hear about a new life being created or other people's business, it's like a big drama in the sky. That's why people oh. always have red society pages. Or maybe not you. <laughs> we like narratives, oh, and so we like uh, people who met each other, fell in love, got married, now they've got pregnant. I don't think there's anything wrong. Yeah, with and people enjoying that story. No, I'm sorry, I don't like kids. 
Um, <laughs> I just don't. I just. But the idea, like in the Western world, that we encourage and we fawn over children bothers me. And I think our population should be decreased down to two billion. Like, I'll finish. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, to, to sort of slightly more specific no, no, child but, but, question. But like in the Western in the Western world, every every person uses up about fifty times the resources of the average person in the third world. Imagine what a rural uses up. I mean, do, should we really celebrate this child? He's going to just absorb so much crap in his life. Ah. I have no time for it. I'd like to just watch it. What a dignified way for the royal family to end by no kids. Mm. Oh, I like that. <laughs> no beheading, nothing. Just, oh, that's the last one. Oh, about, boom. No, the, the line of succession is about 500 people. Yeah, you, you, you'd end up three, with... Three generations of heirs. Yeah. Right, you'd be on your currency for a long time, mate, and you better get used to it. <laughs> um... Robin, can you square this this circle at all? I think it's because I've got little girls and they just get excited about princesses and I don't want to sit there giving them a lecture in republic. Do you know what? I know, we, I know you're not meant to say it on children, these kind of things. Six and four. They're, no, they're my real children. Yeah. They're six and four. <laughs> Peppa Pig finishes. They find out Princess Kate's pregnant. They get all excited, run around the house, and a little bit of me dies. But another little bit of me goes, oh, isn't that lovely? I just have, a, I have absolutely no interest. That's the thing that's is, I, I read books. I have a telescope, and uh, and that's you know. Oh, shall I read about the royal baby? Oh no, I'll, I'll look at the stars now. Now I'll read a book, and then I'll go and play a game with my son. But what about the royal baby? Sorry, no time. That's basically it. I just, I, so it's not. It doesn't actually bother me. It, it's it's of it's of no. You know, great. There's going to be a, a different face on a plate and a mug in a couple of years' time. Yeah, that's. It, it's great news for Wedgwood. It's great news. For crockery. <laughs> but apart from that, I don't care. You know. Do you, um, I, I want to interject at this point with a, a short discourse on the relevance of 13th-century Italian literature, uh, contemporary relevance of 13th-century Italian literature. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Nick Revel. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, Christmas is coming, uh, as we know. It's the season of goodwill, so I, I, I've got three minutes now to offer some helpful suggestions for presents and make a convincing argument in the favour of terrorism. Um, now, when, when, when Dante walks through hell in the Divine Comedy, he discovers that sinners are all punished according to the principle of contrapasso, a suffering that uh, in some way f befits their sin. For example, the, the lustful, to reflect their lack of self-control, are constantly being buffeted and blown by a fierce gale. That's gale, G-A-L-E, obviously, uh, not G-A-I-L, or else it wouldn't be a punishment at all. But uh, the, the, Good, thank you. It looks better written down. Um, the, 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 the apathetic are forced to chase round and round and round behind a flag for eternity as payback for their lack of commitment in, in their previous lives. And the swindlers and doers of dodgy financial deals are thrown into boiling pitch and then jabbed by devils with pitchforks whenever they break the surface. Uh, I'm not quite clear of the exact correlation there between the crime and the punishment uh, but you know if you knew that was happening to bankers forever it it would put a spring in your step wouldn't it? <laughs> so the basic thing is that and, 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 and that's the great thing about being able to believe in hell you know knowing people would one day get their just desserts but nowadays we have to do it ourselves which brings me to George Osborne <laughs> Chancellor of the Exchequer not many of us to be honest, really understand the complexities of the, the, the economic crisis we're in. I disagree with these policies, but if ever, I'm sure, I w uh, if ever I was in a one-on-one -on -one debate with George Osborne, he'd he probably trounce me. But I would use this counter-argument, which I'm pretty sure would, would win the crowd. George, despite your superior debating skills and grasp of detail, I maintain that your policies are clearly wrong, not only on economic grounds, but also because you always have on your face a perpetual, irritating look of smug, arrogant, self-satisfied entitlement. And I put it to the floor that this country would be much happier and better off if I removed that smug look by repeatedly smashing you in the face with a coal shovel. Thank you. Point is proved here. Not, not the sharp bit, obviously, that would be brutal. But the back of the shovel, you get that nice sort of <laughs> bong sound, 
or you could dub it on for the video if you didn't get like the Three Stooges, you know, artistic detail. That's where you win public opinion. Like if Al-Qaeda gave away a free gallon of petrol to every driver in the wake of a terrorist outrage, they'd soon be hoovering up the white van man vote and pushing UKIP into fourth place in every fucking election. So what I'm saying is it's all down to the details. Sharp edge of shovel, brutal, violent, unacceptable, repellent. Back of shovel gets a nice sound going. Boom! Not terror, slapstick. Punch and Judy. Where's the Chancellor? There's the Chancellor! Boom! Oh, there's the Chancellor! Boom, boom, boom! So, and you'd carry on until the expression was completely erased from his face and then make sure he had to be taken to a national health hospital to be treated. Just so he could be in it all together and understand what's really going on now. George Osborne, picture it. First step, 15 hours in A&E, sitting next to a junkie with a beer glass in his head who keeps trying to piss in his pocket and says he can see dragons and holding his face in a hanky, just a big morass of blood and bone and flesh and remorse, perchance. Until finally he gets it all stitched back together by a one-armed seamstress from a Primark factory in Bangladesh who smells of smoke and the agency hired because they're cheaper now than proper fucking nurses. Not so fucking self-satisfied now. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a YouTube sensation just waiting to happen. Yes. So my point is, if you haven't brought, bought all your presents this year, please get everyone you know a coal shovel. <laughs> just on the off chance that someday one of them might in, run into George Osborne. Now, now, now I know, uh, I want to make this clear, if, if, if anyone's listening on the podcast who works in law enforcement, I, I want to say that, yes, technically I am encouraging terrorism, uh, <laughs> but only in fun, as a rhetorical conceit. On the other hand, <laughs> if you did want to arrest me, we'd all be delighted on the show, because it would get the show loads of publicity, so please do go ahead. Yes, I am calling on the country to smash the Chancellor's head in with a shovel, and I am not afraid of the consequences. My name is Alistair Barry. Good night. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Revel. Uh, is it fair to pick on someone's features? I, it's difficult. When um, Nick was talking about this, like obviously George Osborne is such a, a wonderful target because he seems so robust, but if he was talking about a woman in yeah. that way, I would be incredibly upset. And so I have to say it's all equal. So sometimes it can seem quite immature to be babbling at straws in terms of what we can pick on someone. does for, have an unfortunate face. Rather than actually dealing with what we're actually upset about. But you're right. I would feel a lot less confident saying that if it was a woman. Yeah. Uh, well... Hang on, but he's... No, let's stop there. Because it, it, it wasn't saying George Osborne is ugly or... It was saying that George Osborne's face, if you were a Victorian physiognomist yes. and you were measuring the gap between the nose and the lip, you would yes. go, oh, no, I'm afraid the gap between the nose and the lip suggests no knowledge of money whatsoever. <laughs> we need someone with a longer chin, I'm afraid. Yeah. So that's... Yeah. I, don't, yes. I don't think it was actually an attack on that. I mean, no. and, and the thing is, also, there's a certain point where you just go, oh, fuck it, as well. And I think that comes into it. Yeah. There is, you know, George Osborne... I've met various well, he people... he does that, or you do that when you're watching. Well, no, there's a pop. Do you know? I, I don't really. The face is very distracting. It's a kind of, you know, it, it has that animatronic face. It has yes. that that look of, and as they've said, you know, that kind of born to rule face, but not mm. necessarily born to rule a country or anything like that. Born to rule Into a selection of animals things, that you've placed yeah. masks on in a delusional <laughs> world, you know. Um, in your own wardrobe. Yeah, in your yes. own in, in your own wardrobe. He biggish wardrobe. Yes. I mean, he's done well. He's this three door <laughs> wardrobe. Just he born looks to rule. like he is immersed in entitlement and privilege and, yeah. and it doesn't actually mean because no, then he talks he's yes. only the son yes. of a 14th baronet so in fact in some ways he's quite deprived looking forward to a 20 million pound inheritance I, I think you know if a chap happens to look like a, a regency fought with thermonuclear piles I think it's a source of sympathy for him rather than contempt and I think it does us all a grave disservice to, uh, to pick on him but so he I does guess. look like a twat and he is asking for a 
some kind of rearrangement of those features in his own best interest. It's unfortunate. Pete Johansson, you're Canadian. You, you uh, while we discussed the Chancellor, you must have an in-depth understanding of the greater complexities <laughs> of financial mechanisms. What did you make of the oh, author's statement? Oh, what a pompous, talk-down sort of title this, that was. This, this is the sort of Canadian, uh, new field of Canadian no, expertise in this country. Being, we expect being, financial leadership from you and your country. You're, you're being so facetious. Um, <laughs> No, I, uh, I start a place on a show like this, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no, wrong no. question time. Uh, I just Canadians, we get lumped into that sort of uh, debilitative sort of intellectual outlook that our cousins to the south get because we share the same accent. But I'm a, uh, unfortunately, I the the whole problem that I see with this whole uh, issue isn't his looks or anything like that. It's this thing, this entrenchment that we have in old school sort of economics where we think that we can constantly allow this top section of society to ever feed off of the lower classes while fighting and hitting us against each other and not arguing. The, the the point I'd like to make is that I watched this sort of uh, the 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 focus on the economy in this country folks so much on the shaming of corporations right now like like Starbucks and these people that aren't paying taxes well the government at hand is the one that created these loopholes for them to escape from yet all the shame is going on the companies and not on the government and I find that's the lack of focus that we have as a people and, I, yeah I'll just sit back here and, and not just time. not just this government of course but the, 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 the previous government as well which yeah it's it's the, this is it's just privileges. a shell game to focus your attention elsewhere on the problem you know the revolution she was talking about earlier sounded good I don't know when it became as barefaced as it was. I mean, I think yeah. in the Bush administration, they used to do these wonderful things where they go, and that's why education is going to change. And as he walked up the stage, he goes, it's not going to change. And it was so ever, <laughs> it was so, I am very angry about these corporations dodging, I think, tax. I'm not angry with you at all. It's absolutely fine. Don't go away, and I would love to be on your board in about five years' time. I am furious. I am not furious. Yeah. And it's, it's, you're right, I, the I, whole thing becomes such a game where you go, the illusion's not even there anymore. It's as if they're going, they're actually showing you the scrunched up woman and the midget underneath who's doing the feet bit in the yeah. soaring in half. But they don't, kind of they, don't need the, they don't need the illusion anymore because we're all talking about the baby being born from the royal family. Well, well money is on the agenda. The uh, profits, such as they are, will be going to a charity very close to my heart, the Chris Donovan Trust, set up by uh, the most inspiring couple I've ever met, Ray and Vi Donovan, after the uh, the murder of their son, Christopher. You, you can find out a lot more about restorative justice and what they in particular do uh, through the Chris Donovan Trust website. Uh, so I don't think there's anything else I have to do except say thank you very much for your patience and indulgence so far. We'll see you in the second half. Please join me in thanking your panel, Sarah Pascoe, Peter Hanson, Matthew Norman and Robin Inns. Thank you very much. This just in. Rumours that the new royal baby is to be christened Starbucks as part of a complicated corporate tax deal have reached us. Uh, Alexander Parapelichny, the 44-year-old Russian businessman who had fled Russia after revealing huge amounts of information regarding multi-million pound tax fraud, corruption, murder, dropped dead outside his house in Weybridge last month, aged 44. Surrey police were not treating the unexplained death as suspicious. Mm. As for the benefit of the podcast, I just raised a single eyebrow. <laughs> By the way, the Australian presenters we were talking about are apparently now, one of them at least, is on genuine suicide watch. So later on, we thought we'd phone them up, see how they're doing. <laughs> and finally... We all have disagreements, but you must not use violence as a means of expressing those disagreements. Hillary Clinton in Belfast this week, showing a somewhat tenuous grasp of American foreign policy there. Uh, let's bring J James Sherwood back to the stage for some more musical entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, James Sherwood. Well, um, my favourite bit of Christmas is on Boxing Day when you take all the leftovers and you stick them all together and you, you, know, you chop them all up and stick them in the oven. and uh, It's just lovely, isn't it? Uh, I suppose I'm just a huge fan of reheated old hash. This next song <laughs> uh, is, uh, is one that uh, I've um, uh, used over the years to include some references to some topical or, at the time, topical references. Uh, there's some new verses. There's also some old verses, but to be honest, I've covered it so well, you'll hardly notice. Before I met you, life was much more simple. I was just another one of those guys. 
I would open doors for strangers I'd say thank you to waiters If I did something wrong, apologise <laughs> But now you've shown me something new The whole world changed when I got you Those stupid old rules simply don't apply Now that you've agreed to date me I don't care if people hate me My last reason to be good has waved goodbye I used to give to charities whenever they'd request But now I keep it all for you and me and sod the rest If I buy a poppy now I'd give 5p <laughs> Cause you bring out the best in me I used to go to benefits where Sting was performing Now I couldn't give a monkeys about global warming Sometimes just to relax we cut down a tree <laughs> Cause you bring out the best in me I mean, strangely, topically, this bit never gets old. <laughs> the lyrics of this verse have mostly been redacted. De dum de dum de dum de dum de dum de dum de dum. Something 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 DLT. You've been out the best in me. I've not been in the army, but on Poppy Day each year I put on an old uniform with medals down to here The main one says Jim fixed it for me You bring out the best in me <laughs> You used to care for people, any colour, creed or race But now you've changed your ways, it's true you can ignore a beggar with such elegance and grace Maybe I bring out the best in you At the cinema I used to be as quiet as a mouse Now we each wear a sombrero the size of a small house Why should it bother me if no one else can see? You bring out the best in me Apart from you I couldn't care what anybody thinks I've given up paying tax, I've stopped buying drinks And I'm thinking of becoming an MP You bring out the best in me I let Rebecca wade the use of my chateau down in France Surely everybody nowadays deserves a second chance Colonel Gaddafi was until about a year ago kipping on my settee You bring out the best in me The rioting in London, remember that? Truly made me despair Some shops had burnt down before I even got there Now who wants to buy a flat screen TV? You bring out the best in me Now I spend my evenings hacking phones and bribing the police I'm not sure how it happened, but I think I now own Greece And if you want it, it'll cost you 50p bring out the best, you bring out the best, you bring out the best in me. James Sherwood, ladies and gentlemen. James Sherwood. Let's begin with what I think is a pertinent question, and uh, I imagine is asked by a teacher. What do you think Michael Gove's motivation is, re-pissing off teachers? Um, <laughs> Matthew. Well, Michael Gove tells us that um, he's so um, adamantly opposed to becoming Prime Minister or leader of the Conservative Party that he would sign a declaration to that effect in his own blood. And I'm sure a lot of us would like to uh, help him on that with that one, with a, with a judicious use of a razor. I think it's something politicians do to be hard, to, to show how hard they are, is to pick fights with teaching unions. And it's been going on probably since uh, you know, Richard Crossman 50-odd years ago. Um, I don't know. I can't decide with Govey whether he's... Govey? Govey? <laughs> I can't call him Govey. He's an, he's an ex-hack. You know, there's a solidarity between us. He's an old former Murdoch hack. Govey, you've got to humanise the guy somehow. He looks like... No, don't humanise him. You're, you're a to. journalist. Your whole job is to dehumanise people. I, I, I'm going to humanise him. I'm going to help Matthew at this yeah. point. When he was at school in Scotland, um, this is a true story... <laughs> When he was at school in Scotland, roughly around the time he would have been doing his O-levels, he was, he was singled out for abuse by two very popular big boys 
who actually had special costumes made and used to run around the school going, who are you going to call? Govebusters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I appreciate I've broken your See, thread. See, that's but the kind of loyalty and affection that runs the spouse. Well, I think that's the answer to your question, isn't it? Because he was terribly bullied at school. <laughs> and the teachers did nothing He's hated to hated all schools him. ever since. <laughs> he wants them to stop. He might just be sincere with his baccalaureate about, about rescuing British education, what he sees as the sort of mediocrity and the exam inflation grades, uh, grade inflation. He might be, on the other hand, he might just be another being an ambitious little twat. I, 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 genuinely with him, much more than anyone else in this cabinet, I can't decide if he's a, if he's a serious figure or... Do you think there's a chance he's, he's acting in good faith? About 30%, which is about okay. 28% more than anyone else. Yeah, that's high. Uh, Robin, yeah. you, you, I suspect... Well, no, I, I mean, I, I don't have it. I think the main thing that I feel is that every single government comes in and goes, we know how to repair education, mm. with a very kind of surface thing that will reveal in a flamboyant manner. And I, I find that things like when, when Gove early on said things like, we will make sure all the children know the names of the kings and queens of England. Well, why? I genuinely think why, because... To know about history is very important. To know the order of some names is of no importance. It tells you nothing about your nation. All it allows you to do is win a pub quiz. Now, <laughs> if that is your aspiration, one day Britain will win all the pub quizzes in Europe, possibly Canada and the United States too, then that's fine. And I think that when I speak to teachers and I kind of do anything, one of the things is that really it's much simpler than you imagine, which is you don't need as many exams. You do need children to be taught in a way. I'm very lucky where my son is now. He's only, only kind of five now. He's just about to turn five years old. But that, the head teacher there, what she cares about is making children passionate about learning. And that's what it's not about knowing facts. And equally, it's also about the fact that the, the class is getting larger and larger. What are the real changes you need? Do you know what? You need smaller classes, as far as I yeah. can see. And you need to teach but children that it's to be excited about the world. See, you, you know I how I you get smaller it's... classes? Less kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we love having you over here. And we are prepared to give you citizenship. See, I think it's quite good. Can I just say this? No, I think it's good uh, to know... Few, fewer. Fewer. <laughs> <laughs> it's not his fault. <laughs> His class was enormous. We're talking about He's education. Right. Come on. It's a, it's a, I think it's quite good actually to know things. I mean, there was a mastermind, celebrity mastermind a couple of years ago, and one of the celebrity, alleged celebrity guests was David Lammy, a Labour MP. Yes. Uh -huh. And he went on. It's one of the, if you ever get the chance to YouTube it, it's one of the most hilarious, one of those cushion-biting, exquisitely humiliating moments. And I can't go through all the questions that he asked. I'll just tell you very briefly that asked to, uh, to name one blue cheese. Specifically, he said Red Leicester. But that was the least. <laughs> but that was absolutely... His fridge was broken. Yeah, was well, but, but you talk about the kings and queens of England. He was asked, to, I think the question was that night, who succeeded his father, Henry VIII, onto the throne of England at the age of nine or whatever it was? Who succeeded Henry VIII? David Lammy said Henry VII. <laughs> now, it wouldn't matter so much, but David Lammy was the Minister of Higher Education at the time. I think knowing that, things that is actually quite important if you want no, to be a, a it's rising It's not about not knowing things, though. It's about knowing things, but wanting to know things, not merely going, I must know yeah, facts. So to be passionate about learning. If you teach children, it's exciting to know about the universe, to know about history. Teach it. It's not just going, you have failed to know that that date was 1547 1569, therefore you're not a human being. If you actually teach people to be passionate about ideas, and I think we see examples of that. When I see great yeah. teachers and teachers who are given the chance to teach, not to constantly hit targets, you see some incredible teachers. But I mean, there. look at the current situation. I mean, my boy's yeah. 15, and I, you know, so he's got his GCSEs in the summer. And these are the most moronic, draining, you know, the, 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 the amount of effort that goes into these is absolutely an inverse proportion to the use of it. Every line you have to give, it's like being a computer. But it's know, so what yeah. Govey's, my friend Govey's taking on here is not a kind of Elysian field of utopian education. It's bollocks as it is. Yes. Whether he can make yeah, it worse, that's problem. the challenge. Can he make it worse? <laughs> we'll find out in about seven or eight years. Um, I was just going to talk about, because my younger sister is an English teacher, and I come back to her and I talk about the things that we're talking about in terms of, but she teaches English literature. And um, so it's like, but you've just got to like, get these kids inspired, get them reading, that's the most important thing. But her argument is, but I, she lives in a quantifiable world where she has to prove, she has to get her students, as many of them as possible, to pass a C, which means, and she said to me, look, 
I could either spend a really long time explaining to them what a semicolon is and how you use it, or I could get them to put one in one sentence in an exam in one way, and that will mean they get a C. So they haven't got a clue what it is or what it signifies, no, and, and, so and, they pass. And, but, so her moral dilemma is, and in terms of the system as it is, and she works in a place where lots of these children, um, English isn't their first language, and maybe they emigrated here at a later stage in their education, so they're mm. already grappling... To be a good person, should she be on the desk with poetry going, come on... Yeah, like Robin Williams in yeah, that zone, yeah. Yes, captain or, my captain. Or should she just do whatever she can she in the most kind of... irrigation, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what would she rather do? Um, I think the reason that anyone gets into teaching probably has really fantastic and respectable reasons is that she wants to help people mm. she loves reading she really genuinely loves it so she would rather infuse them with her with well her. i think she kind of does as a byproduct i yeah. think what she would try and do is go actually if i can get them to get five gcse's and one of them is english then they can go on through later study and make choices in their life while having spent a year or two years around someone who's genuinely passionate about what they were reading rather than going i've read this a million times i don't care anymore uh, and does she feel more beleaguered to refer back to the question about gove's apparent desire right, to piss off teachers does she feel more beleaguered now than ever before or is it a pretty constant do you know what i don't think my sister has any awareness of politics and that's not a bad thing she has awareness of her school and her class yeah. so whatever comes through the door is what she deals with without any sense of she can do any anything about it or she honestly it's the day-to-day interaction that I think yeah well, someone who's actually doing teacher. a job it's yeah. easy for us because we don't actually have to do something every day mm-hmm. there's no we'll <laughs> 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 be back on air at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning <laughs> that is quite early it must be really <laughs> hard what's it three hours of listening to people swap? and then saying something rude to them <laughs> want, I, I don't say rude things to anyone the, um, no, but I, I think Hang it's on, not I, a I, Gove I, thing, though. I think yeah. it's actually genuinely in the, in the last... I'm not, I don't know about before that, but for 30 years, I think education policies have had a lot of veneer. They haven't had very much content, and in the end, they haven't also had the amount of investment that is required. That to, to me, I don't want to say a soapbox thing, but I am, which is one of the most important things. If you educate, you know, all of the things that you can avoid in terms of the future of what children grow into by giving them a proper education. It's one of the most important things and ultimately will save you money in the end if that's what you worry about most. But I don't think... I think the way that our uh, society is structured, I don't think there's anything wrong for our government in terms of not educating certain people properly. I don't think... That's what I would say is not actually in their interest. They need some people to not have hope and do servile work. And I think that's what happened to the working class for a really long time. I think it's now what's happened with immigrants. And that's what actually... That's a, they good, don't, that's a good point, actually. It's, it's like, what, how are, how are like, lo- these uh, payday loan places going to stay open if we teach kids math? <laughs> I mean, in all honesty, I mean, we've got to think about the overall economy. That's perfect. Yeah, I agree with that. Let's yeah, screw the poor. Look, Govey, actually, Govey, um, <laughs> <laughs> made a brilliant, brilliant... So I'm not a natural Tory. I've never voted Tory. Couldn't vote Tory at gunpoint. He made a speech in May about the lack of social mobility, which is one of the gr- grotesquest problems that is a superlative, facing this country. It was the most left-wing, brilliant, searing mm. speech I've read. Any education minister's made since Dick Crossman told his wife on coming home from dinner with the, with the unions in about 67 that I'm, if it kills me, I'm going to close every fucking grammar school in this country. It was a brilliant speech. He's talking about the moral obscenity that in the last 35, 40 years, it is harder now for a kid born in an area of urban deprivation... Um, to, to, to make and that, it in that's this where country. your 30% comes from. That's why you think he, he probably is. Well, you know, he's, he's, an ad- he's a kid adopted at birth, yeah. uh, you know, brought up in Aberdeen, uh, not in a posh family. Labour family. Scholarship boy, Labour family. I think his father ran a fish filleting or gutting business. How odd that they ended up with a son who looks like well, a fish. There we are. <laughs> it's, it's Princess Anne all over again. Um, this is not your common or garden mediocrity. Seriously, we've had some shite hawk uh, education ministers for 40 years. At least he's having a crack at producing a system that allows a very bright child in an area of poverty. You know, we'll, we'll have to see whether there are these free schools burgeoning in Tottenham and Edmonton and, and, uh, and Liverpool and Newcastle and really tough areas before we know whether it works. But at least he's having a crack. See, if you look at Jeremy Hunt describing nurses as not being compassionate, it's not difficult to cobble together a narrative that sees him demonising nurses as a, as a precursor to carving up the NHS or selling off bits of it. But when you write about Gove being motivated to piss off teachers, it's hard to see a, a cynical subtext for why he would do that, especially in the context of a 
There's, a bit of, there's always machismo in any government minister taking on an entrenched, powerful union like the NUT. Um, and they are, you know, they I mean, the government's coming for them. They don't like it. And why would they? They're incredibly devoted people who work unbelievably hard for not a great deal of money, although I gather the pensions are quite good. But, you know, it's a tough business teaching kids, especially in inner city um, comprehensives. And uh, someone comes along and says, I'm going to make it tougher for you and change the whole pay structure. Of course they're going to fight him, and quite right. It strikes me we've been looking at rather un unhappy fare so far this evening. So we'll turn now to a scientific discovery of the week. Um, happiness depends on self-delusion. It turns out that the shape of happiness through our lives makes a U, a U curve. So it's high in youth and in old age. It sort of flattens out in the middle. Did you know this? It's, not, it's nothing to do with socioeconomic factors. It's all to do with brain structure. Optimism perhaps increases longevity, but in middle age, our, rather your, uh, frontal lobes are, are most developed. Uh, when we're young and old, they don't work as well, so we sort of filter out bad news. I thought of your attitude to the news, Robin Ince, when I read this research. We, we, we filter out bad news, we discount unwanted information in middle age, so I fear you might grow out of it. So who, who can I can some you very tell me important who's done scientists. this Come no, on, some no, very important I, no, I'm not having this. This report has no, come out climate change is not caused by month. human beings. I refuse. It I, is true, there is yes. meant to be that, that there is a point where you have the kind of joy of youth, then the middle age of fear, and then the, the realisation of death, and oh, <laughs> fuck it, you might as well just have fun. And I kinda, I've, I've actually found that my, my curve does not work in that way. I've, I found that the expectation of youth mm. constantly was, you know, founded on the rocks. And then the older I've got, the more I've gone, that's all right. And yes. I think it's kind of realising that as long as you lower your expectations, I think that's the main thing you have to do in life, is if every day you go, well, I lived through the night... Everything else is a bonus. It's kind of all right, you know. You kind of lose some of the aggression towards it. I think the brain structure thing is fascinating in terms of, you know, the, the idea of as we see, you know, childhood. Really, the brain is only fully formed at around, I think, ten or eleven. Mm. You would then start to say that all oh, the circuitry is actually there. And that's so, yeah. even be punished for a crime. Yeah, <laughs> criminal responsibility attached. Do you? Do you you're, you're pre presumed. I think you're, you're the youngest on the panel by some distance. Do you think you're the happiest? Um, well, I read that study, and so and they considered youth like pre seven. Yeah. So like, so it was after then that you Shit. kind of realised that the Savile world. Moment. I'm not. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, I'm definitely towards the middle age, as we all are, really. Um, Pete, you don't seem. But very I happy. wonder if it's the struggle. <laughs> really? Well, I'm I, remarkably I, I, happy. I just, I just uh, the things that others. I'm reasonable. Yeah. Um, no, I find it interesting that it uh, follows the same shape as our sexual activity too. Like, does, it go uh, up, does it go up again? Oh, no, the, the years that we're sexually active, we're unhappy, and the years that we're not, we're happy. That's yeah. very true. <laughs> you know? So maybe it's we're wasting all our time in the wrong area. Well, maybe that's it then. It's just a genetic struggle for, like, I need to replicate myself as mm -hmm. much as possible. The angst of uh, progeny. Again, happens, no kids. That problem. Yeah. <laughs> you're winning, Fred. You're, everything seems to be coming back to your, not anti-child, but anti-procreation. No, no, anti-procreation. I wanted to ask you about this, yeah, yeah, yeah. if that's yes. okay. Yes, because, um I um, intellectual. <laughs> I'd like to have your baby. No. <laughs> it's going to be a so, battle. No, They've applauded, and thus you must. That's, that's the way show business works, I'm afraid, Sarah. I wonder if there's something we could chant to get him going. I've got a great idea. What I'll do when you're in the Labour ward, I'll ring up from my radio studio. So yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so I was just going to ask, because I, so I'm 31, and intellectually, I've always grown up thinking... I don't want to have children. Uh, intellectually, I understand. I would love to adopt children. I, I love children, so I'm, I don't dislike them. But I always felt that we are so overburdened as a society. I'm a really lucky person. I'd like to share that. And then something happens to your body. And I don't want to live a cliche, but every single cell of me, every single cell of me all of the time is making me so aware the only reason you're walking around and talking with this shiny hair is so you can bloody get pregnant. Do you know what do you, you need that? to do? Right, this is. Whoa. If you're worried about that, <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely nothing. No, it's not even broody. Like, so I know, I know babies. From prams and push chairs, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not there. I adore yeah. them. I don't. It's just more a thing where, or like, uh, but it is your genetic, um, you know, PMS gets much worse as you get older because your body is grieving every month. Like, what's yeah. wrong with you? Well, I'm not saying not to have kids. Sorry, it's <laughs> <laughs> too too harsh a way to put it. You remember well, when I remember when I said let's cheer things up a bit? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about happiness. I don't I, 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 I have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, <laughs> mathematically, you're fine having one. Yes. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so, 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 Canadians so, very literal people. That's why, that's why you make great governors have such I'm sorry, um, but no, it, we can decrease the population if we just have The one. reason that doesn't happen is because we are monkeys, and until very, very recently, loads of our babies died all the time. Yes. And so actually we're programmed to have loads and loads in the hope that two or three of them will survive. Well, actually, we've got new software. We're not programmed like that anymore. <laughs> Do you think? Oh, it, takes, it takes so long to change. It takes a long time. <laughs> sorry, please. No, but I'm just saying that we uh, we evolve culturally and sort of uh, amongst each other. Our, our culture dictates our own software at this present point, and we can use our intellectual things to subvert a lot of our yeah, and we make desires. choices. Yeah, yeah, otherwise we'd kill people when we want something. Of course, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, but you say, you know, the, the thing is actually though, the wiring won't have changed enough. We we can use our frontal lobes, yeah. But the, the in terms of the kind of the hormonal desires, oh, so yeah. I know that, that oh, I can't say this now. But anyway, I've got one child, and the reason is that every time that I was going, go, could we have another one? I went, no, he turned out fine. He's fine. <laughs> It's good. We've, the second one might be miserable. Imagine that. It will ruin everything. You know, and I, 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 you go, oh, we've got a happy child. Oh, then we've got that grumpy thing now. Are you having fun, older child? Yeah, having a lovely time. Uh, you know, and, and I think the so other... So it's, it's your call on this. You're right in the very vanguard of modern feminist thinking then. She well, says can I have one, so nope, that's it, he's quite happy. Let's Funny how modern family. Play with the casino's chips on this, let's... let's yeah, do, do you know what, out. I think it is very much a, a 50-50 decision, and... Uh, and yeah. you've taken it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. What, what if... What if you know what, what would be... I, I've said it is fine, you can have a second one, just not with me. Yeah. And I've introduced <laughs> her to all manner of fabulous men, and... Because that kind of thing doesn't worry me too much. I mean, that's how modern it's I am. very selfless. Um, I have collected things in bottles by pretending to be in a white coat and an expert. Um, oh. That's too far, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I don't think so. Okay, I've collected them in so well. tubes. Well, I'd love, like though, if your wife did have another child, you'd still have to take it out, and it might still be grumpy. Yeah, the, you know, <laughs> genetically, the fact the first one wasn't grumpy, despite my genes. But what if the first definitely. one What if the first one had been, and the second, would you have kept trying until you had a happy child? Is that how no. these enormous families happen? It, perhaps no. that's oh Charles and Andrew, <laughs> Edward. He's a happy fellow. He's a, hooray! Many five-year-olds are miserable, especially at Christmas. I don't know what you what oh, you've the odds were. No, I have. Oh, no, 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 yeah. really grumpy a, ones. Yeah, some of those. And, and I understand why they're grumpy because I've also, you know, that thing when you, those friends you couldn't shift after you knew them as teenagers. Yeah. Oh, anyway, so um, <laughs> they won't listen to this. They haven't got that kind of technology. The, um, <laughs> but I do. Yeah, it is. It, it, going back to the the, the brain thing and the, and the moment of, of happiness, which I think you have the stress when you need to be attractive and you're worry worry about people's opinions mm -hmm. and then I think the more you get into kind of middle age the more you go I'm me I'm a failure this is Absolutely. it oh fuck yeah. and that's and it kind of allows you to just go well this is it this is what I am and you, see you know, it's good to go into a really uh, relaxed unstressful unnarcissistic profession like stand up comedy you know? also that's the brilliant <laughs> thing yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on then to <laughs> another question from the audience uh, which will probably be the last one sadly time has flown uh, it's, we also sort of lost about ten minutes of the show during your sort of therapy session my breakdown <laughs> <laughs> but what was it, it has really helped that. me really every, every PMS is grieving but <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what it feels like yes. it does and then everyone's unsympathetic and I'm walking no we're not I like it I genuinely like I think I, I see you as if Jeremy Kyle's show would be written by Samuel Beckett. <laughs> you would be on every single week. But do you know the other thing? You know Virginia Woolf, who didn't have children, when she killed herself, she was on her period. When she put those rocks in her pockets. And the month before when she tried, she was also on her period. So that right. is what happens. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Just, just in case anyone's thinking of asking for a refund. On no pressure to be funny. It's on the fucking ticket, all right? She wrote to the lighthouse on her period. <laughs> the phallic nature of the lighthouse. She wasn't going to the lighthouse. She was going to the penis. Oh, yes. With the, we could uh, write something about yeah. this. <laughs> a carry-on version of the Bloomsbury Group. I'm looking forward to that. You'd be Leonard, With the discovery this week, I missed this story, uh, that English is not an Anglo-Saxon-based language, but in fact a Scandinavian-based language. Where does this leave the English Defence League? 
Yeah. Oh, so, I, so I have heard it's this lovely. before. Yeah. So in terms of the Vikings, when they went around... Mm. <laughs> okay. Did they sail around your microphone? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so it's let's say this is Greenland <laughs> next to Pete's... Cuckoo, did you say? <laughs> you were about to learn something fascinating about the Vikings yeah. in mime form. You weren't. I've really bigged it up too much. But I read a book. I read a book which was about civilizations that failed, and it was about how the Vikings left two small groups everywhere that they tried to set up new uh, uh, societies, and so. Britain is one of them, and then Greenland is the most furthest away over there. And so they were in a lot of unhospitable lands, but because they just killed everyone else that was there, they didn't work out how to farm the land properly, which is why they failed as a society. So I don't see where they could have taught us English. So you're questioning the... It's not that they taught us English. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like that's what you were saying. <laughs> Why the hell were they talking Danish when they, when they taught us English? Why didn't they teach us Danish? I, I've got one more question from the audience. In an isolated system, entropy can only increase. Therefore, an economy based on endless growth is unsustainable. This is the second law of thermodynamics. Why can't we find a sustainable way of generating money and wealth without someone being the loser? Uh, no one can point? save money. Uh, no one think, can I save think, any. I think one of the major problems with that is economics not being a science and the fact that, that we always have these uh, ideas outside of economics that are never entered into the equations. I mean, they're called externalities in the whole idea of economics. Things like nature, the whole idea of emotional response, um, the way we use our resources, none of these are factored into it. So therefore, when we use capitalism as a pure idea, it's going to endlessly come down like that if we don't start to include the entire system that we're all part of, the embodiment. We're, actually, we're talking like it's over here and not part of us. Mm. And that's why it failed. Anyways, like, so what joy was that? James thought by asking that question that would shut everyone up. Yeah. And instead, you did the most fantastic lucid description there. Uh, and, and he went, and they went, oh no, they've got, a, finally, they've got an opinion that might be worth hearing. Yeah, actually, I'm going you know what, as well, saying that thing, that it's interesting they're using the language of science, of thermodynamics, of entropy, etc. Mm. This is, of course, one, as you were saying, one of the major problems with economics is still people think it's a science. No, no. And, you know, we need to realise it's not a science, you know, that, that people, ego comes, you know, the ego, unfortunately, economics are, are things that are both there. Yeah, uh, we can never create an encapsulating system to form even weather. How are we supposed to encapsulate sort of uh, oh, economics, you know? Uh, I, I, I feel like such a dick for correcting you on fewer and less, I think. <laughs> which is not a bad point at which to end proceedings this evening we've already overshot so forgive me please join me in thanking your panel uh, this evening actually I'll thank Nick Revel and Alistair Barry first because I always forget Nick Revel and Alistair Barry James Sherwood for our musical entertainment and Sarah Pascoe Matthew Norman Pete Johansson and of course Robin Inns this is No Pressure To Be Funny. I'm James O'Brien. Don't forget the new website, nopressuretobefunny.com. Good night.